I'm Harmony Williams, and this is Life Changing Trips. Sometimes it's hard to see the freedom and the beauty that lives behind the weight of everything we carry. But I believe that life is so amazing, and I can't waste another moment. I'm so excited to be here with you for another transformational conversation about experiences and the latest research on plant medicine, meditation, breath work, and other unconventional modalities, and how they are being used for mental health and expansion. I hope by listening that you will find ways to integrate your peak experiences and epiphanies to open up new levels of possibilities, ingenuity, and fulfillment in business, and deeper, authentic connection and passion in your relationships, and a feeling of purpose, of living fully alive. Welcome. Today we have the first part of the interview with Ryan Bean. You can find Ryan Bean at Ryan Bean Yoga. On Instagram. He is a certified yoga instructor, certified Wim Hof method instructor, language of breath lead instructor, meditation facilitator. He is the host of po- the podcast Life as an Observer. And oh my goodness, does he have so much incredible wisdom and knowledge to share. He is speaking at the 2023 TEDx at Tuacon in Southern Utah in March. So go ahead and grab your tickets if you want to see him live. He has so many tools for us here in these couple of episodes. This language of breath is just a tool that you can take with you anywhere. He talks about ketamine and combining breath work and ketamine. We talk about integration. We talk about intention and set and setting, what that means. We talk a lot about meditation, ice baths, plant medicine, mushrooms, which one produces the most powerful effects for different things and at different times in your life. We talk about MDMA and PTSD and couples therapy. We talk a lot about ketamine and he does go over what ketamine is not best for. We talk about servicemen and PTSD, grounding shoes, the divine assembly, functional mushrooms, possibilities for people who are looking to wean off their SSRIs or their depression medications. I know a lot of people have talked to me specifically and they want to start microdosing because that's a healthier, less side effects option than their SSRIs or their medications. And they don't know how to bridge that gap. They don't want to be off of their medication for 30 days so that they can have the full effect of the microdosing. We talk about kids on ketamine and that was a really fun conversation. We talk about other medications that are given to kids, SSRIs, Adderall, Ritalin, and kids and anxiety and breath work and affirmations. And we have a special treat from him that is a hand pan meditation, which is really cool. So I hope you stay on till the end to get to hear that. Ryan has all his links right there on his Instagram page. So if you go follow him, you can just click on that link and it will take you to all of the information for his retreats, for the services he offers, his podcast, all of those cool things. This was such a fun conversation and I'm excited to share it with you. Welcome. I'm so happy to have Ryan Bean Thank here you. with me today. Thanks for coming. Yeah. So I wanted to just start out and give you a little intro to him. He is yoga certified, Wim Hof certified, and then your podcast. I listened to several episodes 
the money is energy one is yeah, yeah. really great. And mm. you were talking about inspired action. That one of the quotes from that I wrote down: "Money is congealed energy, and releasing it releases life's possibilities." Mm-hmm. I really like that. <laughs> well, you talked about what you truly value and fear, and your story about money. So good. Go listen. Go listen to his podcast. And I was thinking about this inspired action. For the podcast, for me, that's what it feels like, me starting this. It was a year of going, no, I can't do this. No, there's legal things. No, what will people think? All of these things. No, I'm not, I'm not funny enough or interesting enough, but it's fine. I have cool, interesting guests on. <laughs> Isn't that where we, we either get breakthroughs or where we get locked down is in a place called fear? And fear really is just a, a chemical within, our, within the amygdala and it's affecting how we show up, this chemical that gets released. And it sometimes is what is the catalyst to our change. And sometimes it's the thing that holds us back. It's very paradoxical. Yeah, yeah I love that. <laughs> That's such a cool way to explain it. And the, just the chemical, we think of these things as these nebulous concepts of fear. Mm-hmm. And it is all these chemicals that get released in our body. So once I pushed through... I didn't really push through. It was more like an epiphany just kind of came to me as I was pondering this and struggling. I kind of pushed it out out of the way, like, no, no, no. And then some people had come back to me and said, thank you so much for talking to me about plant medicine because I I was severely depressed and had been suicidal for years. And I found somebody and it saved my life. I very well could have committed suicide. And that's no joke. Several people came to me and came back to me maybe a year after I'd talked to them. And I was so glad I opened my mouth. I can't sit in fear anymore. People need to hear Mm -hmm. about this. I've got to share in my way that I can share. Not everyone wants to hear my way and my people I have on, but there's people out there that this will help. There's a somewhat of a renaissance happening around the discussion and research with, with plant medicines and alternative healing modalities, specifically for veterans and, and others mm-hmm. that is, was once maybe even shamed or looked frowned down upon because yeah. prohibition went into place with Richard Nixon and, and continued on with Ronald Reagan. And it was really, in my opinion, directed towards the, the hippies who were evading the draft. And it was like, you know, we're, we're going to make the things that you love illegal. Uh, and I think it was mostly just because they just wanted to, to prove a message, you know, show a message that, that, we're, that we're in charge, not the hippies, you know. And because at that time, LSD was kind of the conversation tool of this renaissance. It was mostly that in psilocybin, but that those, those became the primary targets, whereas we really didn't finish the research. And now we're now coming around to saying, oh, well, these are quite therapeutic we just shut them down because they were also part of the party scene it was the acid test in the 1960s and and you know and roll around the coach house of the grateful dead and the rogue you know messages of, of timothy leary whereas i agree that those messages were needed i think that the the, the, the prohibition um probably could have been lessened and, and kept it at least in a medical field to do more research. We've done so much. Albert with Albert Hoffman and his research, figuring it all out. And then others like Stanlov Groff and, and all these people who are studying how they can help us in mental health. Um, and now we're just finally coming back around where it's becoming accepted. And we have organizations like MAPS and, and others who are pushing this 
agenda along, which I'm grateful that I get to work in the field to, to be able to, to be kind of a part of that and to be able to offer this as a healing modality in addition to things like yoga and breath work. And, yeah. All of them combined and the work I've done, just inner work and therapy and, you know, with life coaches, we're going inside and doing that work, how all of this combined has contributed to my transformation and ongoing transformation in this space. Once you get to that point, you've done enough research, you're like, oh, I get this now. I get what these mm. things are. Is there any, if someone's just, just beginning and maybe they've watched How to Change Your Mind on Netflix or they've watched Fantastic Fungi or something like this and they're wanting to actually look at some hard science, is there anything that sticks out to you that was like a game changer when you were looking at the studies or does it, for me, it just kind of all groups together and I'm like, no, I, I looked at all these studies and I convinced myself and I don't remember it. No, there's a lot of there's a lot of studies that that were done. I mean, most some of the most famous studies that I that I think about is like the Good Friday studies that the that Richard Alper did with Timothy Leary. If you're not familiar, basically they took these theological students and they gave them a dose of psilocybin. Some people had a, a placebo, which essentially said, "Here, go and then tell us about your experience." Right, and none, they didn't know there, it was a double blind, so they didn't really know who had what. Essentially, these uh, theologians, they wrote their experience and then they took the experience of all these who these seminary students, they took it to basically the back to the, the, the Christian college, to the, the priests and ministers or whatever. And so and they, they rem- omitted any of the statements that related to magic mushrooms or psilocybin. They took that out. Okay. And they essentially said to the priests. Did they have, are they describing what is a biblical proportion mystical experience? Mm-hmm. It was very high. I think it was all but one person that they said, yep, they did have a mystical experience, but neither side knew that it was magic mushroom. And so it became kind of groundbreaking saying, well, then what is that experience then? If it's not a mystical biblical experience that you're having on mushrooms, then what is it? Explain that. So it goes a little deeper. There's a, a publication out of the book called The Immortality Code, or sorry, Key, Immortality Key. Um, it talks about that the Eucharist, uh, for the most part, was probably ergot, which is ergot is what was in the original San, uh, Sandos uh, mixture of LSD-25. So, so Sandos uh, is a comp- like a drug company. Yep, that and that's what Albert Hoffman was working for them. Put yeah. this out for people to try and say, hey, what use does this drug have we want to find a use for it right yeah i think i think originally it was actually for for menstrual cramps oh really i I believe so (laughs) i remember that's why he was working on it yeah yeah. and And then they they didn't just put it out to anybody but to therapists or to medical professionals um, and yeah they weren't sure what they were going to do with it It actually sat on the shelves for a little while till albert hoffman got a little bit i think he had a little bit on his skin or maybe like in his eye or something and then he had this you know, LSD experience and the next small and the next day he deliberately, you know, took it. And that's what we know as bicycle day now you yeah. know, <laughs> because he had to ride his bike home. This is true. Yeah. Yes. I love yeah. it. Okay. So ergot is what, it's, it's a, it, what LSD grows on a grain or yeah. something yeah. and ergot. So that's kind ergot of. Ergot grows prim- primarily in grains and that's what is found. Like when they talk about the immortality key, they're showing the pottery where there's mushrooms and barley and they're making this drink and, 
you know, it's all linked to different potteries that they found within, uh, well, they're, they're saying that it came from Ulysses, which is the Greeks, and that's who did that, and that it somehow made its way into Catholicism, to the Roman Catholic Church, because they're finding this stuff in, in Italy, they're finding it. There's, there's these vases that are in the Louvre in France. And basically he's just saying, well, what are these then? Who are these ladies mixing and what are they mixing? Yeah. And then when there's trace, trace evidence of Urga on specific chalices and pitchers, mm -hmm. and they're saying, well, there you go. And this was used for this, essentially saying that it was used in religious practice. Okay, yeah. So I've kind of heard that explained, but that is deeper. Than yeah, you can go quite like a bit deeper. It. The book's quite thick. You know, <laughs> but the, the, the author, um, his name is Brian Marusco, and he did a lot of on-the-ground research. Like, I'm going to go in, into the Louvre, and I'm going to go check this out. I'm going to try to put the pieces together. And this picture shows up also over here. Like, it shows up in... Italy, but it also shows up in Greece. And if it shows up there, then it also shows up somewhere down in Egypt. And he's like, this, these are the reasons why we believe this. Mm -hmm. And essentially it has a lot of the same pictures. They have okay. a, a lot of the same imagery is being shown in all these different cultures. And essentially it kind of goes away at a particular time. In, and that's really when the Roman Catholic Church kind of began domination, you know, and that's where it disappeared. And I and the belief of the author is that it was only given to those who are higher in the church because, well, if the people could commune with God on their own, then why would they need the church? Right. And that was kind of his, that was kind of his hypothesis from the beginning. And then his conclusion was, well, that, you know, it was suppressed by, by religion. That sentence, if the people, just these regular normal people can commune with God on their own. <laughs> Why would they need the church? That yeah. just stuck out to me. Oh, but yeah. I'm going to go back. So Wim Hof, my son went to one of your Wim Hof mm. classes that you do. Is it called a class? It's more like a... The, they're workshops. So, workshop, so, so we call it Wim Hof Method Fundamentals or Wim Hof Method Advanced Courses. They're usually four hours or you can do a whole weekend where we review mechanics, breath work, the history. And we get into some ice baths. We do some breath work. And we do some meditation. And occasionally there's a little bit of yoga in there, but... Sounds like a good time. I yeah. like it. And oh, then, yeah. so you've got different retreats. Yeah, I, I host that at retreats. I also do workshops all over. Usually, I mean, right now it's as per invite, but I usually have at least one in Utah. Mm -hmm. um, there's only like two of us in Utah, which is interesting. Wim Hof Method instructors. Really? Yep. And so I teach primarily in Southern Utah, uh, but I do some stuff in Salt Lake occasionally when I get invited. And then I do a monthly in Las Vegas and really wherever I get invited for retreats. So okay. usually once a month or more at different retreats. Okay, and there's a list of those. We'll have it in the link of these different uh, retreats. So not just Wim Hof, but there's an art and meditation one, a breathwork one, immune health optimization. Yeah. And you were saying you, you do that for athletic performance. Maybe just a quick, what is Wim Hof? Yeah, Wim Hof is a method that was created by the, the, the namesake, Wim Hof. He's a Dutchman. And um, his story, in a way, ours are very parallel without getting into the cold. Um, and I can tell that story if we get into it. But essentially, it is a method in which we're optimizing the alkalinity of through breath work, alkalinity and... Um, some endogenous release of our alchemy, some uh, chemicals like adrenaline and cortisol that cr are creating this hormetic curve. Basically, stress yourself out so you're prepared for it. Okay. And the ice baths are are a piece of that method. There's three pillars. It's breath, 
cold and mindset. Mm-hmm. And so the breath is an important piece of it. Um, the getting into the ice baths or cold, deliberate cold exposure is a way of, you know, exposing yourself to ice baths or other cold environments. Like this morning I went and go out with my shorts and I walk in the snow or the, the, the grass this morning, which had dew on it, mm-hmm. which was frozen. I see frosty. Yeah, yeah. So that was my cold exposure today. But doing this deliberately to, to pull our bodies and minds really out of a place what we think of as comfort. Because experiencing discomfort is really where transformation lies. So this little bit of a hormetic curve that says, I can handle a little bit of stress and let's bring it back down, is training our alchemy and our fight or flight response to saying, I don't need to react so quickly. I can actually observe this first. And this, this is very yogic techniques too with you know, insightful meditation or a Vipassana style where you're saying, well, what's actually really happening? Oh, my body's feeling this chemical rise. And normally I would run, I would distract, I would whatever I would do to try to protect myself. But I, instead I'm going to sit here, I'm just going to observe it. And so um, that's really part of what the method is. And a lot of it is just mindset work, willpower. Like I'm going to commit to doing this and I'll get in and I'll, you know, and you breathe in a certain way inside the, the tank uh, to help create a parasympathetic dominance that essentially is kind of biohacking. Uh, I'm saying, okay, I, I feel this rise and this endogenous rise of adrenaline is making my heart go faster. Mm-hmm. And this cortisol is making me, maybe this stress is making me want to breathe heavy. And so it's sending a bottom-up signal to my mind saying I'm not safe. Mm-hmm. And the mindset piece is kind of hacking that saying, well, actually you are quite safe. And if you simply focus on your breath and relax your shoulders in this very stressful environment, then you'll start to produce other chemicals. You start to produce melatonin. You start to really use the adrenaline to heat the core. Even though your hands and your feet are quite vasoconstricted, which is could be for some, they could call it painful. And I usually redirect that and say, well, it's uncomfortable. It's yeah. temporary and it's uncomfortable. We did that in, in a natural childbirth. We call them birthing waves yeah. instead of painful contractions, yeah. right? <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a moment that will pass. So you're redirecting it to this uncomfortableness. Is that what you called it? We embrace the, yeah, the discomfort. discomfort. I mean, you want to embrace it. I never try to lure someone and say, well, you know, if you just pretend like you're in a warm bath, we don't do that. We actually, okay. we're in acceptance of where we are saying mm-hmm. this is a cold ice bath. But the water doesn't have an agenda. That's the difference. Is our mind thinks that this water wants to hurt us. But when we say the water is just being water and you're just being human, and here we are coexisting in discomfort, then what? And, and what can I learn from here? What can I learn from this environment? Maybe it's acceptance of myself. Maybe it's patience with myself. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's how I show up and when I get frustrated and mm-hmm. I am immediately ready to react and like um, yell or scream or fight or whatever. Right. So that's what we learn in Wim Hof Method. That's beautiful. Yeah. The, I, I, I love that I have this podcast so I can always bring it back to plant medicine but mm-hmm. that some things you learn in plant medicine there's some hard times that you can go through, right? There's some things yeah. that you and it, and you can just be like oh well that was a bad trip or somebody had a bad trip or you can ask that same question. What can I learn from this? And yeah. what, I need, what do I need to work through? How do I normally shut down or process these things? And it's just an opportunity for that growth. There's some beautiful, amazing, wonderful times too there available. And 
bring it back to the ice bath. I've done both. I, the longest I've done is two and a half minutes in an ice bath. And I've, I've handled ice baths. Sometimes like I'm just shivering and I, and I keep, like you said, you, you have that bottom up and it's telling your heart to race and it's telling your body. And I am, it's usually where my mindset is Mm -hmm. where I'm like, Oh crap, why did I agree to this? I don't like doing this. And, and I'm thinking all of those things and I can't stop shivering. And then I've done it also where I'm just relax into it and I'm breathing and it changes the experience totally and what you learn from it and how you do. So I want to know what the longest you've been in an ice bath is. <laughs> Not well, that this is a contest or anything. Well, that, that's, that's what I, so there are, yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. for fun. We don't even have to yeah. go there. No, it's okay. Um, so every year I, I get in for an hour. I mean, that's just, I do it once a year for an hour and I'm starting to go a little bit further than an hour, but, Whoa. but that's not the point um, <laughs> okay. at all. Good. Um, Cause I don't want to do an hour. <laughs> the point really is you get to a point where you're into that relaxation piece where you've, you've overcome the fight or flight response. You're starting to use your intercostals as you breathe the ribs to kind of make that web of friction mm-hmm. and you're using the adrenaline that's being produced to warm the body. And once you get to that point, everything else after that is really just training. And so the only reason why I go any longer is there are times when I get into the ice with, you know, the participants very rarely, um, as part of protocol, we don't do that when we're teaching. However, I will get in sometimes when I'm not teaching with others. And I also, because I'm, I'm kind of looked at as the authority there or the, you know, still the instructor, regardless if I'm teaching a class or an official class or not, Mm -hmm. I want to be able to maintain my nervous system. So really, I I think that's like really the biggest flex, right? Is just having a regulated nervous system is Mm -hmm. saying, okay, I realize when I'm beyond what my nervous system can handle, I'm recognizing this tension in my mind. I think, I think it's what young Pueblo said that, that he said that um, healing is when we can recognize the, the tension in our mind and let it go. And that's really when healing can be. And it's sort of like the, the yogic saying where they say, when you get into a pose and you want to get out of it, that's when the yoga starts. Right. <laughs> you know, it's kind of the same thing. So for me, I, my normal ice baths d- differentiate from day to day. Some days I just do 10 minutes, get in, get out. Um, five minutes, get in, get out, depending on what I have time for. It's usually every day. And then I have some other things that I do where I get in and get out, get in, get out. You know, I do it several different times. And then sometimes I just sit there for 20 minutes and I, I'm building up to my once a year, one hour ice bath. And that's really all I need. I don't need to, to have the world's longest. I don't, right. you know, that's all yeah. very, and when people come to my classes, the, the, that's two of the things they always ask, how cold and how long? And I always say, cold enough, long enough, <laughs> you know, because I will lie when I'm teaching because people go, how long, two minutes? Uh. And I'm like, well, but if they're not at that point where they're calming the nervous system, yeah. then maybe staying a little bit longer is an okay thing. Mm-hmm. Like we want to try to not go really long. You know, I don't ever go over like four or five minutes with somebody new, never. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want them to be able to feel that feeling of I stop fighting the resistance here. And when I stop fighting the resistance, that's where the magic can happen. Mm-hmm. Same is true in a, in a plant medicine journey, whatever. Like I've seen people pull themselves out of journeys because they're either, first of all, in expectation of where they were last time. And they're trying to think their way really hard. If they just think their way deep into this trip, that they'll get back to where they were. Mm-hmm. Or they have this breakthrough that they want to have. 
and they're trying so hard to have a breakthrough. Mm. And both of those could create what we would stereotype as a bad trip because you're, tr- you're really trying so hard. Bad trips happen going in and they happen coming out. Coming out is really when you're saying, I don't want to face the world. Mm. Going in is when you're saying, I am trying to create this experience that I want to have rather than the one that's waiting for me. Because the one that's waiting for you may not be the one that you want to have. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can already uh, pull that little bit, of, that nugget. I love yeah, that. I mean, it's I've seen, especially so I work in, in the clinic, we work with ketamine a lot. And ketamine is a disassociative um, molecule. Essentially, I mean, some people have it in, in childbirth, it's in labor and delivery. I mean, it's... But it was used as an anesthetic um, to replace PCP in the Vietnam era mm-hmm. and just happens to have these, these psychoactive uh, effects at the right dosages. And so we've learned how to sort of hack that a little bit. I, I, in our, we do infusions, but I also do um, uh, oral versions of the medicine mm-hmm. with breath work. I kind of knew that this was going to work, but I wasn't sure. So with, a, with testing and trying to get into... What is the right dosage with the right music, with the right breath work? And then we're now we have a trademark out with ketamine breath work. And we've been published in a few, um, the Jur- Journal of Psychedelic Psychiatry and a few other places have documented this. Even our local news did a big story on us. Cool. Um, yeah, the St. George News. So how does the breath work help with the ketamine? There's lots of ways that it helps. <laughs> I mean, the breath work itself is a tool you can take with you everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of patients who will come in or will say, I'm looking for this thing. I'm treatment resistant, right? This is what I've been diagnosed or self-diagnosed mm-hmm. and I need something. And I could just be like, well, here's your infusion and have a good day. You know, like the way most ketamine clinics are is it's plug and play. The doctor will come in and give them some ketamine. An hour and a half later, they, they go in and say, okay, well, you're done. See you later. But that's not the way we do business. We, so I'll do an intention setting. I'll do breath work. And then we do integration. So there's two pieces really to a ketamine session. Well, I guess three. The, the breath work and the intention setting is kind of part of one of them. One of them is the psychedelic piece of it where I'm just, I shut up and I let them enjoy their trip. And the third, I guess the third piece of that would be the psycholytic piece of it where we can actually kind of talk while they're still disassociated um, and in at least that state of disassociation. Is this kind of near the end? Or it just depends on what they It depends on the person, but usually within half hour, 45 minutes, people are either really talkative or some people are just still like out of it, you know, depending on on their, um, I guess, tolerance and how they feel with with this particular chemical. But Mm -hmm. and then we'll do an integration piece an integration really like now, you know, now I've had this thing which might be ineffable. What do I do with this information? The thing is with with ketamine and with some other um, psychedelics is it's not really about remembering or even where the trip takes you. Yes, in some some, uh, practitioners, they may find this breakthrough moment where they're on a certain chemical, whether it be psilocybin, ayahuasca, DMT, or whatever. It takes them to this profound moment that is really memorable for them and is life-changing for them. But it really, especially with ketamine, it's not necessarily about this breakthrough moment. It's about us going through this arousal process and changing what we call as our default mode. Okay, so our default mode, specifically with breath work and ketamine, 
is when we have this arousal and we're holding the breath, we get into this place of air hunger and the CO2 begins to build up. This is called hypocapnia. Mm -hmm. And hypocapnia, we want to instinctively breathe. And as you're kind of training, hey, I don't need to do, I don't need to breathe. I'm actually okay. What you've just done is you've kind of fired some new neurons. You've, you've kind of created a new path that says, oh, I can get, I can still continue to carry on through this, even though I'm feeling this air hunger. Or when the arousal comes for adrenaline and cortisol and it says, I'm not safe. And you say, yeah, yeah, you are. You're, you're safe. You're just created this whole new chain of neurons firing, which are taking a new pathway. And that's really what it means when we say new neural pathways firing new telomeres. So when we do that, what we're doing is we're creating this possibility of change within someone. And a lot of times it's done in a disassociated state, kind of like hypnotherapy, if you will. Okay. I, I offer NLP and just say, well, here we are in this disassociated state and you're bringing, you want to bring in forgiveness into your life. Mm -hmm. And I'm going into that disassociated state with affirmations, meditations that have to do with self-love and forgiveness and whatever. And this breath work, which is um, serving a physical purpose, which is um, amplifying the sympathetic dominance within the uh, vagus nerve. In the, so we're getting into a fight or flight. Right. In doing so, all the automatic processes begin to happen, like uh, digestion inhibition, uh, the heart rate starts to go fast, the respiration's fast, the eye is dilating, reproductive organs stopping. Like There's a lot of things that happen on a very automatic or autonomic level. And we're utilizing that to make the medicine that's in their mouth, not swallowed, in their mouth, more bioavailable because it's not going through the liver. Okay. okay. It's going sublingually. Oh, this and, is And that's how incredible. it's Incredible, yeah. So we use the breath to create a nervous system response, which creates a endocrine system response. So the, the hypothalamus and the hippocampus, the amygdala, all these areas of the limbic mind begin to say, oh, let's start to regulate this in a way that we feel. And so we're creating new telomeres, or not new, new telomeres, new neural pathways of telomeres firing. Okay. So essentially, like when someone is on an SSRI, right, they're on a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Like all the, an antidepressant, is yep, that what that, okay. yep. What was happening there is it's essentially holding the reuptake of that serotonin between those telomeres, expecting that it's going to take the same path as it always does. Okay. And it just kind of holds that serotonin there, and so you get a little bit more of it. So that's that that happiness, that hope, hopefulness. They're getting a little bit more of it rather than it being released quicker. Okay. So that's what an SSRI does. Well, when you're on a disassociated ketamine trip, we're creating a whole other path. We're saying, I don't need to go that same path that said, oh, I need to go left, go right, go left, right, 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 left, up, down, select, start, right? Like, <laughs> the, the, the video game, right? I don't need to do that. I don't need, that's not the passcode. The passcode is me constantly involving and saying, I'm okay with change. I'm okay with discomfort. I'm okay with making these changes. And so that's how in, in sessions with me really are effective is we're saying, I don't really care about the, what I used to do because for the most part, our thoughts about 80% of them are yesterday's news. Yeah. I'm reacting. I would based, say at least, right? <laughs> at least. I'm reacting to what I believe will keep me safe. So if I were to say an ice bath, I'm getting out because I think that my hands are going to fall off. I'm going to freeze. That's why I want to get out really fast. But if I actually sit with it, I realize I'm actually okay. 
when you have a difficult conversation, let's just say your partner calls you and goes, we need to talk. <laughs> Immediately, that's based on past triggers. Mm-hmm. Your old partner saying, whoa, when they said, well, we need to talk, that means there's something bad that's going to happen, which it could be really, really great. Or when your boss says, um, when you're done with your shift today, can you come to my office? <laughs> right? Oh, no. It's and, the same as those flashing lights behind, you know, the siren and the, the blue lights in your rear view mirror. Oh, <laughs> it puts it, you into that And scene. isn't that, that's really anxiety, isn't it? Yeah. That's and so, so we're moving into the, and which really is only our body speaking to our subconscious. So our subconscious and our mind, our mind and our body, and that whole connection of what we call in yoga is the union. Mm-hmm is really just a conversation between conscious and unconscious self. Both love us dearly. However, they don't speak English. They speak frequency and chemical. Those are the two languages they speak. And if we don't know the language, we feel anxiety and we're like, I'm an anxious person. Mm. But you're not. It's just your body speaking to your unconscious saying, hey, um, we've heard lights before and we knew there was a fire when we saw those kind of lights and that's dangerous. You should be afraid. And so you start to go, okay, I'm afraid. Think of your, think of ourselves as, you know, in our cave, man cave, woman days, right? Mm-hmm. We had our jobs where we were hunters, gatherers, and maybe, you know, we did things around the house, around our cave, you know, occasionally we'd clean things up and we would, you know, organize our little cave. But for the most part, we went out, we hunted and we gathered and we came back. When we would get to the, the, the edge of our cave, our heart rate would start to go a little bit fast, our eyes... They would dilate nice and big so we could see what was happening as the sun went down. We stopped digesting because we didn't want to lose that energy because we have to need to run, right? Our reproductive organs stop working because we don't need that energy being spent. We need to focus on hunting, gathering, and getting back safely. Now, the thing is, is our endocrine system and our nervous system have not changed since those, you know, you know prehistory days. We, it hasn't changed but the problem is our stimuli that comes into our experience causes us to react the same. So whether it be the hard conversation or whether it be, um, you know, somebody cutting you off in traffic, that's the saber tooth tiger. That's, you know, that's us being chased by a, a velociraptor or whatever. And it's but, no longer a life-threatening situation. And we're living in these states of stress for years yeah no time. yeah no it's definitely more a than it's job, more than acute stressful... yeah it's more than acute it's an, it's an extended amount of time mm-hmm. which in turn is kind of in a way creating a traumatic stress time period which then is the you know the indicator that we're maybe even moving into this acute stress now becomes a ptsd and mm-hmm. and now we're saying okay now how do i get through this thing that happened to me six years ago and now I'm still affected by it because I can't sleep. So this is probably what you're seeing a lot at the clinic, I'm guessing, for ketamine. I'm also thinking of just the daily, we don't even realize we're living in stress and what that's doing to our body. If you're shutting down your digestive system and all these things are happening just because you're living in this job that's really stressful or a home Mm -hmm. or relationships or all of these things so being able to manage for a large ptsd this these stresses and also for a daily living being able to do breath work and you're you're talking me into you know these cold showers (laughs) and the do these things to manage my stress state so i'm not living in an unhealthy 
manner like what does that do to our body when we're living in that stress state besides gaining i mean gaining weight i'm guessing the mental aspects the i would even go down to saying it's yeah the diseases part i would say even like autoimmune diseases are really in a way I mean, yes, it's, it's our body fighting against us because it's getting a mixed message. All autoimmune is that is saying, hey, I don't know what that is. I mean, take rheumatoid arthritis, for instance, like mm-hmm. that's attacking our own cartilage. It just doesn't recognize it anymore. It's almost like it's gotten these funky signals mm-hmm. and it doesn't realize our body and our mind are just not in harmony mm-hmm. with each other. And to get into harmony with each other, we really need to take our electrical system, our nervous system, which is sitting in water and occasionally charge it up and send it the messages that we want. So if we're manifesting, so I teach a, a class on, on Insight Timer, which is all about manifesting and using breath work and that charge mm-hmm. to, to be kind of the emotional charge for what we're manifesting. So Joe Dispenza talks about this a lot. He's saying you can say all you want and the things that you want to bring into your life, but if, if it's not emotionally charged, all it is is thought. All it is is this thought and more than likely if there's not an emotion behind it which is your heart coherence mm-hmm. really that heart signal that says i was here before the mind you know really and the mind says okay but uh this is what i think and this is what we should and the heart says no that i believe this is where the change really happens is when we charge it up with an emotion that says mm-hmm. i don't care what has happened in my past i know that i am capable i know that i can I feel it, and this is what we call the heart coherence, or we take inspired action mm-hmm. that comes from beyond our thoughts and more from a place of, I mean, right, intuition, a mother's love, you know, mm-hmm. like all this stuff that we we know that it exists. Right. We give it different labels in different cultures, but essentially it's saying it's what I feel more than what I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Krishnamurti or... Forgive it, but he's, I mean, I didn't the Buddha. I don't remember. Said that, that the mind is a terrible master but a, a lovely servant yes and yeah. and that having this mind which always believes it's master mm-hmm. when it takes our human experience and says you need to listen to me this is where we become what we would say you know mentally ill we, we, we tend to follow our our thoughts and what we think might happen and all the stresses that we have around us we begin to associate our being with i am stressed all the time I am a stressed out person. I'm angry. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, and we, yeah, we, anxiety, we uh, I, I have, I, well, person. I am anxious. Mm-hmm. And so within therapy sessions with me, we take the disassociated state and we rewire that through neuro-linguistic programming saying, I experience anxiety sometimes. It's all around me. It doesn't define me. Mm-hmm. I have emotions called anger. I have emotions called joy. I have emotions called sadness. I have emotions called happiness. All of them have value. And it's about a matter of me saying, ah, here's anger. There it is. I can recognize it. I can allow it to be there and not shame myself for having it and nurturing that saying, okay, I love you, anger. Why is this coming up? Where is this coming from? As we investigate it, we'll say, oh, that's because my dad used to yell at me when these things would happen. And of course, that's why I'm frustrated with my kid. I see this is when this happened and... And that is really where we said at the beginning, when the, you notice the tension in the mind arising, that's when real healing can occur. Mm-hmm. So noticing that coming up. So that happens um, 
through breath work, we notice this rise of hypoxia where we're breathing a lot of oxygen. We're like, oh, I feel that little euphoria. There it is. And then I go into holding the breath and you start to feel the air hunger coming through hypocapnia. And you, you know, you recognize and you say, okay, I'm here. I'm squeezing my shoulders up by my ears. I'm trying to so hard to hold this breath. But when I cue you and say, relax your shoulders and ease into this breath, this breath hold, you realize you could, you can go another 30 seconds or more as you relax the tension in the body. Yeah. Same is true when you said you were in an ice bath and you were shivering. Yeah. That's an automatic function. The body says, we got to keep this person warm. Mm -hmm. But if you had other tools and someone guiding you in it, then you would you would be like, oh, I, I have another tool that I can utilize. And I, I offer a lot of those. Uh, so we're talking about a broad range with breath work to ice to, to plant medicines. But really, the, they all have a common, um, I, I guess, meeting point. And that is that we can't force healing. We have to ease into it. Mm -hmm. We have to allow the tool to be its tool. And we have to realize that in our egoic mind as humans, we believe that we're the top of the top, we're the most intelligent, we're the most knowledgeable, that we can fix everything. And we have to humble ourselves to saying, I'm, I can learn something from water. I can learn something from my breath. I can learn something from a plant. Mm -hmm. And when we decide that we can humble ourselves, that takes us out of our ego and allows us to come to a place where really there's harmony. I mean, there really is. If you think about it, there's like, mm -hmm. you never see like a tree, an elm tree, looking over at an apple tree and going, you're so ugly. You, you know you wish you were an elm tree, right? They don't, plants don't do that. Mm -hmm. They just live cohesively, even down to the mushrooms who share the mycelium network and are communicating to the trees. Mm -hmm. They're not like, ooh, that over there is an aspen tree. We don't want to talk to the aspen tree. Let's go. You saw what he did to his friend, the other aspen tree last week, right? He tipped, he tipped into him and broke a branch and we're not talking to him. But this happens in humans where we, where we judge our outer appearance based on others. We judge our healing based on what we think is a breakthrough. We, right. We, we say, we say that we could never, heal because of what happened to us or you just don't understand what happened to me but we don't need to understand it's your healing and the the phrase letting go is not a one-time event yeah right right and so a lot of people will will say well i can't let that go this is it was too big for me that thing that happened to me was too big but yet we could say well let it go right now and don't let it dominate your experience your experience right now is psilocybin and you were, we're communing with the vibrations of everything. You're associating with your body. You're associating with the earth, the trees. And that thing that happened to you has nothing to do with these trees. That happened to you 10 years ago. Let's let it go now and let's be right here. Doesn't mean it's not going to come up tomorrow or the next day, but you let it go again and then let it go again. And when you can start to observe that you want to let go of something, again, there's, there's, that's where healing is. That's that tension mm -hmm. saying, that doesn't serve me. That, 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 doesn't, that story that I've been saying about myself is so irrelevant in the grand scheme of everything. And I'll, I'll share a little example. I, was, I took a, I took a, a client who was a, a professional hockey player 
and he was was dealing with depression, pretty pretty heavy. It stemmed from a breakup. You know, he was hit a broke up. Two years later, here he is coming to see me. He's like, hey. I am not getting my contracts with these teams that in the NHL, they do like a year to year contracts, I guess. And basically he wasn't being renewed for mm-hmm. his contract because of his depression. He just wasn't showing up to practices. He was having some substance abuse issues and they were just like, eh, not doing it. Yeah. So he came to me and he said, Hey, I have, um, X amount of time before I have to, um, try out again maybe or reply i'm not mm-hmm. sure how that worked out but basically i need to get my i need to get my stuff together yeah so i said well here's the thing i don't i need to see you let's chat he came to one of my wim Hof method classes and that's how we met and then i said let's just spend a weekend together i don't know what's going to be best for you but i'd like to do a consultation with you and just like just talk and see what's the best option and i found that that probably a um ketamine journey might be good for him but i thought that really i wanted to take him a little bit deeper um to associating how he's feeling because he was very much disassociating through um, alcohol abuse okay. and so i mean ketamine doesn't it doesn't mean that it can't work um but for him this had become a ptsd trauma rather than an acute trauma where i find ketamine works really well as depression and anxiety okay but for PTSD, there might there's might be some other options that actually work a little bit better with kind of associating rather than disassociating. Yeah. So I wanted him to do I wanted him to go hiking and I wanted him to do more Wim Hof method and I wanted him to do uh, psilocybin journey. Okay. We did do ketamine also uh, the first day, but then I wanted to take him hiking because he had never been hiking. Now what I know. <laughs> Never. He had to go buy some hiking shoes. Oh, wow. Some boots. Yeah. And I, if, well, if he would have asked me what boots, I would have told him which boots that he should buy because I wanted him to feel everything. But he bought these like really designer, big, chunky <laughs> heels. And like, I would have told him to get like minimalist boots. You know, that's right. what I wear. I'm a hiking guide and yeah. I wear, have you heard of those earth runners? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I in wear, the summer, I love wearing those. I wear earth runners every day. They have um, like a grounding plug in them if you've never heard of they them. Do. And so that you can still get the electrical. Yeah, you know ions, whatever it is. You can yeah, it's like a copper. It it's like a copper more little scientifically than than I. But I all I know is that after I wear those instead of my shoes hiking, I feel I my feet aren't as sore. I feel more energized. Yeah, I, yeah, less drained. I wear those. Um, I have not some... spon- hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> yeah, no, I love them. I also have another pair of boots by Zero Shoes that I really like. Zero Shoes, they make a. Um, weatherproof and I can put micro traction on it. So when I'm hiking in the winter, earth runners won't work so well because I need traction. Yeah. Um, and the icy routes that we're going, we're still in our shorts, but I just need traction okay. so that uh, we don't slip. So we do stuff up, you know, angels landing and up Ryan head and stuff in and the do. winter. Oh yeah. Ooh. And with earth runners, they're great, but they wouldn't be the best for gripping snow. Yeah. Yeah. They have a decent grip just for normal. They have like a vibram. Yeah. Anyway, we're, we're plugging products. Yeah. Now, but we'll back, <laughs> back to your, so, so I took him for a hike and we went up to the, what's called the Red Mountain Trail, which is a horse trail that looks down into Snow Canyon. It's and gorgeous. it's a gorgeous view. It's only about a three mile hike. Not a big deal. We okay. get up there. Yeah, it was, it was a cool little hike to take him on. But we got to the top of Snow Canyon. And I, I'm, I don't know what the elevation is there, but basically you're looking down about 2,000 feet. Incredible. And, and at, awe. Yeah, at the end of the canyon, you can see the city of St. George. Mm-hmm. And I just, I looked to him, we had our, our, we were eating some, some lunch and we're looking down and I said, Hey, 
how many people do you think are down there? And he's like, uh, I don't know, like 40,000 maybe or something like that. I said, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, depending on the time of year, maybe. I said, how many of them know that you're up here? And he was like, none. I was like, how many of them can you see personally? Uh, none, you know. And I said, so a lot of, a lot of his therapy was how he was in, trying to impress you know, these teams and trying to impress the girl and trying to show up in a way that was, you know, usually through liquid courage, but it was him trying to show up in a way that he believed was right. But I was like, in that moment, no one knew he was there other than me. He didn't, couldn't see anybody who he had to impress. And he was just him and nature in this vast Canyon. And I was like, now what do you exist in this vast Canyon without, you know, without your links to, who you thought you were, your personality. Who are you really? You're not, you're not that jersey. You're not that helmet. You're not that, you know, that haircut. You're not even really that gender. Like when you just can sit here and be a soul in nature without having to impress anybody. And we sat and we did some breath work on that and just, yeah, I can just be. And that feels so much better than trying to be who I think I am. You know, it's like this dance. Ram Dass talks about it as the dance of Leela. You know, where he says, you know, where two souls come together in this relationship, whatever that is, where I'm going to believe who I think I am and you're going to believe who you think you are. And we're going to have this agreement that we're going to believe each other's stories. And in doing so, you know, we'll believe this vast fairy tale. But really, when we can really just sit with each other and be souls, and that's really where we go into this place with Ram Dass likes to call the beloved, where... um, we're just in a place of our own love and sharing that space. He, he uses the reference of a triangle, like that the word kind of shared consciousness is the top point where mm. we're two souls on the corners and the top point is shared consciousness. And that's kind of what I was trying to explain to him is your life can change at any moment. You know, just as mine did, I, I was in the military and I was going down a sp- specific path that I had all laid out for me. And then it changed. And when it changes, you can either have lots of resistance to it and you can say, no, but I am this person. This is who I am. I wear this uniform and I do this thing. Or you can say, what does the universe have waiting for me? And that was hard for me because we don't know. It's like um, letting go of abundance so that more can come in. You're like, do I really want to let go of this money? Knowing, but knowing more will come in. And it's really about trusting and being um, aware that you are your own deliberate creator of your life. Mm. Life is not dragging you down a path. You're bumping down a path. And there are times when you hit the, you know, the rumble strips, Yeah, you know, that say, come back (laughs) onto your path, but you're welcome to deviate. You can deviate as much as you want. You're not. And if you decide to jump off and go over into another lane, then guess what? That's what you decide to do. And that's exactly what I did when I said, I'm not going to be in the military anymore. I'm going to carve a new path. I'm going to deliberately create the life that I want. Now, I didn't know. That's what took me to India is I didn't know really what I wanted to do. And because I didn't know what I wanted to do, I was very scared. Mm-hmm. I was very like, well, if, if I don't exist in this realm of corporate life, and the skills that I've gained through college and the money that I've paid to, to be this 
label of whoever I think I was, then who am I really? And that's like, I guess the, the big vast question that a lot of us take into psychedelic journeys is who am I really? Um, there's, there's the healing aspects, but those who are doing self-exploration are saying, who am I? Yeah. Or who, who can I be? Yeah. What am I capable of? And this is where these breakthrough moments happen. And I would say that they don't come to us because the divine or source is saying, here, now you're ready for your, your moment. You're pushing it to no, you. No, no, no. Not really. I think, it's, yeah. I think it's saying, here, here's our karmic path, which is all about action or inaction. And each one of them come with consequence. There's not good or bad karma. There's just action or inaction. Mm-hmm. And as something comes into your experience, you get to choose, do I act or not? Each one of them comes with a consequence. So I had the opportunity to, to move here to Utah. I didn't know I was going to do that. I had left India. Um, we had 2020, that great year of locking things down and making flights not available. And I had to leave India. And I couldn't go to Costa Rica at the time. And my mother lives here. And I was like, I'm going to come here. That made sense. I had some stop-offs along the way. And then I got into my van. And, and I've just been... And, but, but I've been letting life um, be kind of behind me rather than me being drugged. Like, I don't know. I'm just saying I'm going to create what I want in my life. How do I want life to feel? I want it to feel abundant, easy. I want it to feel like new opportunities are here, that new relationships are being built. That I want it to feel as though I ha- have, I'm limitless. And if I, if I say that I'm limitless, then guess what shows up? No limitations love this this yeah, is so yeah. huge what you're saying yeah. just how do I want life to feel that question alone and then what you've outlined incredible yeah so you can use a lot of tools to do this and I do this in my courses a lot of it stems from some of Abraham Hicks teachings and some others Bob Proctor's teachings and you know Dr. Wayne Dwyer there's a, there's a lot of Dr. Wayne Dyer was amazing I listen to him a lot Joseph Campbell a lot of these speakers who in my opinion, very close to the to the divine, like the veil is very thin, and they they've just they were receiving a lot of information. Yeah. Call it downloads, call it inspired action, call it just inspired yeah. words. But yeah. they removed the ego, humbled themselves to receive, and then put themselves in a place where they're in the center of that storm, which is our mind. Okay, so there's the whirlwind that just is, and we never really quiet our mind. But we can go into the place where it's still, which is like a middle of a hurricane, right? The eye of the storm. Yeah. And you can watch it all and say, okay, I don't really want to associate with that trauma. Okay, I see, you know, childhood abuse over here and I see my breakup over here and I see, you know, the, the time when I injured my leg and I thought I was going to have to have my, you know, my foot amputated and I... That time I broke my arm as a kid and I thought I'd never be able to play baseball again. And I see all these things whirling and I can sit in the middle of it all and say, and that too, I'm that too, and I'm that too, and I'm that too. Rather than saying, I'm only that and I'm experienced, you know, tatuatsim is, is, the, is, the, is the phrase used in that, that just says, I'm in that too. Mm-hmm. And then we, we go away from I am specific to I am general. I am. Yeah. I am. And when we manifest, we're not manifesting. It's good to manifest generally. So for me, like I'm in my van, I didn't manifest this brand of, and this size and this shape and this color and this 
location where I'd find it. I said, my, when I was writing it all down, my tiny dwelling has arrived. Mm-hmm. And I put like what it would feel like. I love mm-hmm. how it feels to be in nature. I love the freedom that comes from having everything that I need whenever I need it. And, you know, and I started to lay it out very generally. I should keep it in this book up here. I write these things called focus wheels. Mm-hmm. And I do the same thing for psychedelic journeys. So, mm-hmm. so I'll say something like, what am I bringing into this ceremony today? I'm not doing it just to like, giggle, giggle, have fun. Mm-hmm. I'm utilizing an intention setting activity that says, why am I here today? And it might be, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll lay it out here for you and the listeners, but like, I'm trying to do more of a, a very deliberate conversation or channeling with others. I've been working a lot on that and really raising my vibration to, to that place where I feel as though there is actual conversation, not just inspired action coming through, but really conversation vibrationally, maybe telepathically or Mm -hmm. something other to make it a little bit more deliberate. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also manifesting other things in my life, things like, you know, new opportunities and where to find them, how to manage my business a little bit differently, um, letting go of certain areas of my business. Mm. Um, Should I teach this yoga class anymore? I mean, there's a lot of different things that are, that I'm constantly putting out into this realm of consideration through meditation and through breath work. So I guess we'll circle back around to breath work and I utilize breath work every day to bring my vibration to a place to where I'm sitting in the middle of that storm. Then I can meditate there. That's really, we need to find even just a few minutes to, to find just a piece of where we're not doing our to-do lists and our tasks. And we can just say, Hey, here I am. I'm, I'm, I love you. I'm listening. I'm listening. And when we can say that, we can sit there, even for just a few minutes, 10, 15 minutes, whatever, and then wait. And re- you may receive um, intuition. Turn left this time and go home. And I know you were going to go to Target, but go to Walmart this time. And you, you start to listen to this intuition and it takes you to where you're supposed to be. And that's part of manifesting. But I think through a psychedelic session, the same thing is true. What we're saying, I'm going into this with an intention that says, um, I like how it feels to feel whole. Mm-hmm. I enjoy feeling safe. I appreciate my health. I love how it feels to have new abundance flowing. And we go into with these, and I can, we can probe those as in and as a disassociated state saying this is my new chain of thought rather than this direct path that says you'll never have money, you'll never be healthy because you'll never... Find that person. You'll ne- yeah, you're not deserving of love because mm-hmm. of this. Well, what we did is say, oh, let's just take the other, let's go through the rumble strips and let's come all the way around and now we're back on the same road. We just took a, you know, again, Young Pueblo, I quote him a lot, but he, I think one of his poems says... As she looked back on her life, she realized that it was no ordinary straight line, that it was, I'm paraphrasing here, it was forwards and backwards movements, some lefts and rights, even some pauses and detours. But after all was kind of said and done, she realized that she couldn't have gotten to where she is in her life without every stop, twist, turn, pause that she's ever made. So I think we, we, as humans, we tend to say, well... I can't be because I was an alcoholic for 10 years or I can't do that. There's no way I can find someone because I've been out of the game dating game for 15 years now and I can't do that anymore. 
And that's what's going to show up in your experience is the vibration of I can't. Mm -hmm. So when we get into the ice, we talk about I can. It's mindset work. When we do breath work, I, I will. When it's plant medicine, it's like I'm bringing this, I'm offering. So I'm doing it in a ceremony for those who are listening or interested in more in, with, with the way of psychedelics or any of doing it in ceremony is key. And there's certain things that are so key that you can't you can't deviate from them and expect to not have a bad trip. If you deviate, you're probably going to. And I'll tell I'll tell a few stories about them. But yes. but you want to go in with a, the, a good set and setting. Okay, so this is was you know really talked about by Stanlov Graf and 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 I think it was Timothy Leary and and Rob, uh, you know Ramdas really said set and setting is key. We got to do this. So the set is, why are we here? What are we doing? What's the point? You know, and there's some other ways to offer ceremony. Mindset. Some of it is, yeah. And, and it depends on which traditions you're following. You know, if it's, if, if it's a, you know, a mushroom journey, it might be a particular uh, tradition. If you're doing an ayahuasca journey, it might be a particular tradition. With ketamine, there hasn't been a whole lot of cultural ceremony except for in our clinic. I do a, I do a ceremony. So, <laughs> so you may have a little bit of ceremony around that. And having that, at least a ritual or something to make it sacred is what's important. Mm -hmm. All medicines should be taken sacredly, especially those who are from the earth and their plant medicine, for sure. Mm -hmm. Having the right setting means we're not going to be interrupted. You're going to be safe here. No one's going to barge in. You're not going to be disrupted. You're going to have comfort and you're going to be taken care of and you know that you can let go mm -hmm. because you're not worried about your outside environment. That's yeah. the setting. Now, intention setting is the third thing that you got to have. Intention setting is why are we here? What's the reason? Um, and if, somebody, if somebody's guiding that ceremony, they'll keep bringing you back to it. Mm. They'll keep bringing you back because you'll want to forget about it. You'll, you'll start to disassociate it. That person is who's your guide, your trip sitter, your psychiatrist, whoever it is that's leading this, your shaman. They need, they'll constantly be bringing you back to that intention. And then enjoying the, the psychedelic session for whatever it is, the psycholytic piece of this is when we get past mind manifesting and we can actually go into this learning piece mm -hmm. where we can start talking. That's an important piece to, to really process and for whoever's sitting with the person to write things down in a trip report. This is what you said. This is what you felt. Um, this is what you were expressing because much of it when we come back is ineffable or we've forgotten or we don't remember what the images were. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's pretty profound, but sometimes not so much. Yeah. We're just like, I just saw colors and blacks and whites and I don't know what I saw. But during the session, you might say something about your mother or you might say something about a particular name or whatever. And then third is, uh, or sorry, fourth would be to have integrated pieces. Now what? How do I apply what I learned in this session and make lasting changes in my life? Yes. And if we don't do that, which probably is longer than the trip itself. Oh, yeah. I mean, it could be yeah. weeks, weeks and weeks of integration, mm -hmm. right? Whereas your trip might have, with the ketamine sessions, 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, with psilocybin, it might be four hours, four or five hours. But your integration piece might take weeks and weeks and weeks because we're reapplying these things. So for me and my clinic, I'm reapplying breath work. Here, do this every day. Here, let's, after you've done this for a little while, let's add some meditation in there. Maybe I think that actually ice baths might be good for you. You know, or let's work on this other technique. You so, say that to everybody, though, don't you? <laughs> I, well, I would tell you that out of all the, all the yoga that I've done, 
Um, I mean, I'm a, a 500 hour registered yoga teacher or E, which is the education piece. So I teach 200 and 300 hour programs, a lot of uh, thousands of hours of yoga training from accessible yoga to tra- traumatic brain injury yoga mm-hmm. to trauma sensitive yoga to some of the more active pieces, all the breathwork courses that I've taken, tons of them and all the plant medicine. I mean, even in ketamine itself, I've taken hundreds of them just to get the ketamine breath work to where it needs to be. But I will tell you that my most valued times and the biggest part of my life where I've done real heavy lifting has been in an ice bath. Mm. Those have been the places where I've said, I am perfectly present. I'm not wandering. I'm learning about myself. I'm asking nature what, what it wants to teach me and it shows up. I mean, medicines do help, but I'm telling you, the, the, the ice baths are a constant reminder that I, there's always work to be done. Mm. Whereas, you know, uh, plant medicines are great, but personally, I don't like to do them all that often. Yeah. You know, like I get exhausted. I, I like how I, the, what the unveiling process is, but I don't really, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't do mushrooms every day. You know? Oh, jeez, yeah. No. Yeah. Even, I mean, people that are proponents of it and love it you know you're going in there for some work and it's not something that you're just dying to do every week or every month or you know (laughs) a couple times a year and and when I guide I will do micro doses when I guide Mm -hmm. I I will tell you I'm finding a lot of um I'm finding a lot of benefit in I say taking a lighter dose of similar plants Mm -hmm. and using functional mushrooms Mm -hmm. Um, in my daily life. So, you know, reishi and lion's mane and cordyceps and having them in like my morning beverage, which is really amazing. Um, I actually saw a guy when I was at the Divine Assembly Summer Revival. That's a mushroom church here in Utah. And I was speaking at that, talking about ketamine and breath work and met a guy who makes these functional mushroom like capsules. I never did get any from him, but I, I, I would like to get more um, and try them and mm-hmm. just see. He gave me some at the event, but I never got a whole big supply where I could actually say. But essentially, they were, he used them to microdose and wean himself off of SSRIs. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, I wanted to really play with that uh, a little bit more. I love his info. That's really, I've been talking with people that want to explore psilocybin or plant medicines, and they don't know how to bridge I, I, just one gal in particular I'm thinking of she's like okay I did it I'm going off my SSRI so I can prepare for a journey and she's like I gave up I can't live yeah. without my SSRIs I don't know how to bridge this gap in between this 30 days or whatever she wanted to go off yeah. of them for so that's that's great well I can help with that Mm-hmm. Um, so there is, there is protocols that are on, I, I like to use a particular psych, the microdosing institute.org okay. and the microdosing institute has some protocols for weaning off each one of those reuptake inhibitors. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some other, that are anti-anxiety meds and so forth, but basically it tells you the protocol. And what I would recommend to someone who's thinking about getting off their SSRIs is definitely, I mean, talk to their doctor about it, but. For the most part, the doctor's probably going to say stay on it. But what I found is a lot of people who have been on a long time don't even see their doctors anymore. They just basically have this rolling, you know, prescription. They just pick up every month Mm -hmm. and then there they are on it. And when they try to get off of it, they feel horrible. So then they get back on it. Yeah. I found that offering a microdosing regimen before a large trip could be beneficial. Mm -hmm. So essentially weaning off and it may take months of weaning off 
those SSRIs, but eventually cutting the, the, the milligrams on that particular molecule while kind of increasing the frequency of what you're doing with uh, maybe a psychoactive or magic mushroom mm. could be beneficial. I can tell you that because those work on the, the, the serotonin receptors, that's why it's dangerous. However, ketamine works on the glutamine uh, receptors. And, oh. and so those who are on SSRIs can come in and use and use ketamine as the tool to help them getting off their SSRIs. So do people microdose ketamine? People do. It's not something that I have a lot of data on, so I'm not recommending it currently. Yeah, I don't I've know that people microdosing MDMA, which is also a little more serious. Yeah, I don't know that I recommend it. Psilocybin, and so it's kind of this because if they're taking even microdoses of psilocybin while they're still weaning off of the SSRIs, there's the you know some dangers, but. Mainly what I've heard is it's just plain out ineffective. They're just wasting the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. microdoses because they're, it's not doing anything. Yeah, yeah. I would recommend someone, if they wanted to get off, to they could come in using ketamine as a tool to... to Help them get off their SSRIs? I would say, yeah, it really, it's, a ma- it's a matter of balance. It's a matter of balance. Okay. Saying, okay, so if I'm endogenously producing serotonin... If I'm already doing that, then why do I, I don't need this reuptake inhibitor because I'm working through breath work and I'm changing my mindset a little bit to saying I'm safe, I'm okay, I'm having this feeling of well-being and they're already producing the right chemicals endogenously so the reuptake is not really necessary. You know, holding it in the um, between the telomeres, it's just gotcha. not necessary and they'll automatically start to feel better, usually within three sessions. Okay. Um, and what I like about what we're doing with the oral administration of ketamine is it allows people to take a little bit of medicine home if they if they're feeling like hey I can't get in to see my therapist mm-hmm. to re- lead me through this if I want to and I'm like three sessions in I'm feeling pretty good I understand what Ryan has been teaching me they can do it on their own at home just you know I try to guide them to not doing it don't take it out as a party drug you know yeah. because it's you're gonna have a bad experience make sure you set and setting and intention and when you come back, we do integration. Or if you're seeing another yes. therapist or a psychiatrist, do the integration with them. It's well, it's great for those who don't know that they have options. Yeah, and that's, people have for, asked me, and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, no, so, uh, ketamine so this is, is an option. So great. MDMA will be an option when it's finally released. Um, it's, it's close to being FDA approved. So we'll see. Right now, we're doing some <laughs> studies in Utah with psilocybin and MDMA um, at the University of Utah through the Huntsman Center, and they're doing mm-hmm. some some tests and some studies. I mean, they're happening globally through the MAPS organization, yeah. and I think we're going to find that it's going to be for clinical use probably next year, mm-hmm. and that is great news for PTSD and for maybe some couples therapy. Yeah. Great news, but right now we have. Ketamine that can be used for depression, anxiety, and PTSD. We're just finding that maybe it's not the best tool for PTSD, but it does work. Okay. And, and ketamine is, it's a legal, they're using it off-label, right? Yeah, for people that don't know that, ke- that right. what ketamine is. Traditionally, it's been bit. used as an anesthetic or sedative in surgeries and so forth. But, and it's and, remained legal this whole time. Yeah, it's been legal since the 70s. And um, what we're doing with it is... We're create, we've created this oral version mm-hmm. with breath work, which we find is almost as effective chemically, but more effective 
emotionally than, mm-hmm. than an infusion. Okay. And the reason why I say that there's a differentiating between them is because when you're doing something intravenously, right, you're getting the medicine right into the vein, there it is, it's not going through any digestion. Well, okay. my job was to figure out how to make it more bioavailable. So I used what I know with breath work to suppress the digestion mm-hmm. to create a more bioavailable product that we put in our mouth. Thus, also reducing anxiety. So the breath work helps us to shoot all this through the roof with adrenaline and cortisol, which maybe not as anxiety, it could be, but I'm keeping a balanced breath so there's not as much release of noradrenaline in the locus ceruleus. Okay. And so we're keeping it less anxious, and which, which is anecdotally, we believe, keeping down nausea. Oh, okay. And we also believe that it's increasing bioavailability. And we're seeing lasting changes that happen within just a few sessions. Wow. Not only are we make doing this for one-to-one patients, but now because I don't have to do an infusion, this becomes a group model now where I can give it to a group of people. And we know through, I mean, really all psychedelics who are that are culturally being used, whether it be, you know, cactuses or mushrooms or vines, they're being used in group settings. Yeah. We're doing these as ceremony together. We're not doing these as one-on-one clinical therapies things. We're doing these as groups getting together to commune with God and to find our own healing. And so I've taken this model so that it can be scalable to groups and also making it more affordable. That's what I was going to say. Because it, you know, typically I know in Southern California, an infusion of ketamine is well over a thousand dollars, 1500 bucks or more in Utah. You'll pay close to a thousand dollars for an infusion. Our group setting oral administration of ketamine are, is right around three hundred dollars. I mean, you, nice. you get you get your consultation. You go pick up your prescription. You bring it to the group setting, and then you're led through a two hour ceremony. And that prescription is usually three three sessions. So nice. so so you have enough to come back, come back, come back. And so we've created an affordable method in which people can commune, like it's always supposed to have been, as a group with God. Yeah. And taking it away from the Freudian models, which never really want patients to get better. Really, because then you'd be out of work, right? Like if if your patients quit coming to you, then you're out of work. Well, our model is really great for patients, bad for business, Mm -hmm. because we we would like people to not come back. Mm -hmm. We want you to feel wonderful. It's okay, they'll tell their friends and you'll have more business, Yeah, yeah, we we just want people to- You're not worried about it, I'm sure. (laughs) I just want people to say, I feel great now, and now I'm coming back for Mm self-exploration. I'm not coming back because I am in debilitated anxiety. Right. I'm not coming back because my relationship with myself sucks. Mm -hmm. I'm coming back because now- I want to go just a little bit deeper with get to know that that question, who am I mm-hmm. or why am I here? Yeah. That is a really great place to 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 approach psychedelics after the the blocks. You know, I had my one of my gurus in India, he's he's referring to yoga, but I'll refer it to like plant medicine or any kind of alternative healing method. Mm-hmm. Is we spend our lives building these walls, right? Brick by brick. Whatever that wall is, it's like I'm this is my limitations because of my size, my gender. This is um, my limitation based on this or that or my traumas. So I'm building this wall and I brick by brick, I put it up, I put it up, I put it up. But yet my whole life resides on the other side of this wall. My potential, my, my, you know, all the stuff that I want to accomplish is on the other side of this wall. And I just built this giant thing in front of me. Well, these methods 
alternative healing methods, whether it be yoga, breathwork, ice baths, plant medicine, are the sledgehammer. It's saying, I don't need to be defined by that brick or that brick or that brick. And we're creating a way to penetrate the wall to continue our lives in the way that are that is satisfying to us. Because most of us, mo- I say most of us, meaning just in general, the world will walk along the wall and go, wouldn't it be great if, if I can get over there? Wouldn't it be great if I just had my, the person that I could be in love with? You know, wouldn't it be great if I made more money? Wouldn't it be great if I had uh, whatever? And we see it on the other side of the wall, but we never really take the willpower to break down the wall. And that is really where I try to lead my patients is saying, who, who put that limitation on you? You know, somebody said something and then you believed it. You believed their lie. And we put the limitations on ourselves, really. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. How many lies do we believe? Oh man. (laughs) <laughs> you know, these are all the bottom up signals that we that we receive from the world. Thanks so much for subscribing and leaving a review. Come join our amazing free community, Life Changing Trips. There's a link in the description. Please read our full disclaimer or listen to it. But for now, just note that all content is for informational, entertainment, educational, and harm reduction purposes only. Life-Changing Trips and Harmony Williams and their affiliates and guests are not doctors or mental health professionals or legal advisors. Any information shared is not meant to treat, diagnose, or claim cures for any physical conditions or mental illness. Psychedelics and sacred plant medicines are not for everyone, even when done legally. There are serious contraindications with various health conditions and pharmaceutical medications. Please do your own research and take action to be informed. Remember that you are 100% responsible for your actions and subsequent consequences. The views of the guests are not the views and opinions of life-changing trips.